Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. I hope that we can look towards other models as well as we go through this process to make sure that we're really giving um, sufficient representation to our constituents and giving council members the tools to be able to run our offices smoothly. This is not intended to be the final budget. Uh, This is a budget that will keep the government running in the event that we cannot uh, pass a final budget by, by the end of June. Democrats were not engaged in this budget, in the skinny budget that is being pushed through. That is why we are not legitimizing this with a debate, because this budget is not real. This is a tough job. You take a lot of a lot of slings and arrows and the job doesn't pay. But it's just a good way, I think, to, to see our country get back to its values. We know that if we run a strong race, that's the best chance for us to actually hold this seat because Senator Cinema is never going to be senator again. She's going to end up in third place. And it's going to be a very low, low third place uh, in, in the in the teens, even, you know, even lower than that. Joining me this week for the Friday newscap are two top notch political consultants, Stacey Pierceman here of Lumen Strategies, alongside Marcus Delartino with First Strategic. Good morning to both of you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. I think it'll become clear soon who leans which way. So <laughs> let's dive in. I want to start with the, maybe the wonkiest term that we've all become awfully familiar with the aggregate expenditure limit, right? The school spending cap. If this isn't lifted, schools are facing a $1.3 billion cut in this year. Uh, lawmakers on the House Education Committee have approved a plan now to lift the cap for this year. Um, it's one step in the process. Let me start with you, Stacey, on what needs to happen here. Oh, we need to stop playing chicken with classrooms. I mean, this is insane. We we just got up the other side of COVID. We have an entire generation of feral cats that had to go back to the classroom, and now we're threatening their ability to stay in their desks. It's It's bonkers. What do you think, Marcus? <laughs> as the owner of three feral cats, uh, <laughs> or as I affectionately refer to them as my domestic terrorists. Um, no, I mean, listen, the problem needs to get solved and we need to take the drama out of it because we know what's going to happen, right? This money has already been allocated. It was allocated in the last budget. It's $1.4 billion to go into education. The problem has been with this expenditure limit that they can't spend it. Yeah. When we get to March 1st, um, that's sort of emergency time for school districts and they're going to start letting teachers go and that means there's a potential for your kid to come home from the classroom. And as most parents uh, know, we went through COVID and had to become teachers overnight. And most of us, especially me, found it to be the most miserable experience of our entire lives. Incredibly hard, yes. <laughs> and so uh, I, I'm not going back. I'm going to tell you that right now. So let's just get the drama over and get it fixed. What Republicans are looking at uh, from a perspective of strategy, uh, and I certainly understand that, but it has to be a very delicate and well thought out strategy because the last thing you want to do is start telling parents uh, that your kid is coming home and you have to take off work. We're not, you know, we ain't going back. What do you make of this, Stacey? Like, what do you make of that strategy, right? Like, schools are starting to plan for this. Like, they kind of have to at this point. Oh, they absolutely have to. And teachers just don't have it in the tank. 
to deal with this kind of uncertainty, especially coming off of COVID and having to flip to online lesson plans and and then getting back to the classroom and having to teach a third grader that he need to close the door when they use the restroom. I mean, we, we literally lost a generation of kids and and how to interact in the outside world. Um, and, and putting that back together now um, was difficult. This sh- having a paycheck on March 15th should not be part of the concerns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you make of it from the Democratic side? Are there sort of strategic moves that are being made there? Oh, I think just holding the line is the only option. And I think the governor has done a good job signaling that she's not playing games on this. This has to be passed. This has to be lifted. Um, and the money has to be spent. Let and- me let me give you everybody a little bit of a bright spot in this discussion, though, is that is the legislature is moving the bill. And mm-hmm. it came through committee this week, almost unanimous, one member uh, being a no vote. And it's scheduled for the Rules Committee, which shows it's moving. I expect it to be on the floor probably next week, um, and it'll move over to the Senate. Now, what its fate is in the Senate is different, but, uh, you know, at least it's going through the House. Right. Okay. But this is just for this year, right? There's still talk of how do we address this problem, you know, going forward. Does it end up on the ballot in 2024? Will lawmakers refer it there? What do you think, Stacey? I mean, lawmakers certainly could. I mean, the other option, of course, is looking what happened with Save Our Schools, SOS, Red for Ed, uh, Teachers Union, looking at another education funding initiative. Marcus? Yeah. I mean, there's only two paths on this one, right? (laughs) (laughs) The legislature either tells you what you're going to vote on or the people do. Um, And so those are your two choices. But, you know, there is potential, I think, that that both sides could sit down and work on a a long-term solution. It needs a long-term solution. Otherwise, we're going to be going through this fight every year. Everybody knows that. Nobody wants to go through that fight, especially parents Mm -hmm. uh, and teachers. And so, uh, you know, there's going to be a solution. It's just who's going to form the medicine. But I mean, getting a getting an initiative on the ballot, if it doesn't come from the legislature, right, like is a super costly process. Are there people out there already starting to do that? Are, are you indicating that there's a lack of special interests out there? <laughs> I'm sure there are, but I mean, is it happening or, or do we really expect the legislature I, to make I, this? Yeah. I do not think it would be a problem for uh, the AEA or Absolutely. SOS or any other group to go to the ballot and get enough signatures. Yes, it'll be costly, but uh, as I as I he said there is no lack of money in politics right now. Well, and education remains such a top issue with voters. There are folks lining up, at least on the left, to solve this problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it is. it would be a huge win um, for my party to solve some of the systemic education funding issues. I mean, we're, we're, parents are tired. Bonds overrides every year, every other year. Um, looking at, at invest in ed and other ballot initiatives to fix funding. These threats from the legislature, parents are tired of the uncertainty in the classroom. But Marcus, the 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 climate around education is very different than it was from when a couple years ago when teachers walked out, right? Like especially post-pandemic, as you say. How does that play into this? Well, I think what the Republicans are looking for is some accountability in traditional public education. And that's that what that is what's going to have to be part of the long term solution. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the bills that are floating around the legislature, they surely have to do with what's being taught in the classroom. And parents want more say in that sort of setting. And and there's only so much space in a chart. There's only so much so many charter schools and so many private schools. We can't stick everybody in them. Um, and so uh, you've got to be. Uh, sort of have some accountability in the uh, the largest sort of 
education pool that we have. Most mm-hmm. parents send their kids to a traditional public education school. And I think we're looking for accountability in voucher programs and private schools, uh, you know, looking at, at applying those same rules and that same oversight to some of these private schools who have the luxury of not taking children that don't meet certain criteria, both of, of IQ and performance and, and, and in some cases, socioeconomic or religious status. I mean, we're looking for the same accountability on the private side. Okay, so accountability all around. I want to talk for a few minutes before the break about the budget. Uh, Senate Republicans are passing the skinny budget, right, that they say or, you know, they're kind of billing it as a way to ensure economic stability going forward, right, as we are looking at a potential recession, continues spending that's already in place or much of it. Marcus, is that what this will do? Is that a good line to take on this? I think it's a fairly good line to take. Now, I've got a crazy idea, and that is just pass the budget, let her veto it, and then just sign you die and go home. But I don't think anybody's (laughs) going to take my advice. uh, and of course, that's a little inside baseball for for uh, most of your listeners. But I th- I think the one thing I think is lacking from this budget discussion is that there it was a large amount of one time money that was put right. into this budget, largely because of COVID uh, and federal dollars that were flowing through. And so, you know, is there the ability to actually make somewhat of a smaller budget if you were a conservative? Sure. Is there an ability to keep the same amount and reorganize priorities? Definitely. Um, but look, the governor's the governor, and <laughs> she is whether you like it or not. She's part of the process, and so um, I I think largely this is going to be all for naught. That budget's going to go up. It's going to get vetoed, and we're going to be back to the starting line. Does that put Democrats, you think, in a different position if they have already gone through, you know, Katie Hobbs' round of her budget? Now the Republicans say, "Here's our round of our budget," and then they can start fresh. You think, Stacey? Uh, political theatrics. Am I being yeah, too no, optimistic that, it, there? It is a bit optimistic, but when we continue to cut taxes and we continue to pass skinny budgets. We don't address, we kick the can and don't address these major issues facing our state, be it water or climate change or education funding writ large. We have to stop doing this nonsense and look at the money that's available, stop talking about tax cuts and start talking about investments in our state that are going to pay dividends. Is that going to happen? I just, I want, it's one of, because Stacey's talking about specific issues. And I, what I think is interesting is that sometimes there's a disconnect with, with elected officials and what people are really thinking. What I hear most from my neighbors right now is about the homeless problem. Yeah, and you're right. They're literally, it's like a zombie apocalypse is happening right in front of us and nobody wants to address it. And it's both sides of the aisle. Mm. And we're using code words to talk about it. And we say affordable housing. Um, and I think we're kidding ourselves if we think we can affordable house our way out of this problem. There needs to be somebody way smarter than the three of us that's that comes up with some sort of plan and we need to get it implemented. But um, sorry to sort of derail you. No, but you're I, exactly I, right. I, I, I think that's one issue. And, and to add on transportation, of course, we're going to need more roads to sort of move these people around that all moved here mm. um, because we're getting the blessing of their tax dollars. Um, I mean, surely our revenues are, are up. I think we're going to be somewhat um, – sort of insulated from this recession that everybody wants to talk about because of our growth. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying we're not going to feel a little bit of it, but it will be more, it will definitely be harder felt in other states than it will here. 
I'm joined this morning by Stacey Pearson of Lumen Strategies and Marcus Delartino with First Strategic. And I want to jump into a few minutes of talk about the state parties. The Democratic and Republican parties in the last week chose their party chairs, new chairs on both fronts. Uh, we'll talk about the Democrats in a moment. I want to begin with a little bit about what happened on the Republican side. And we'll turn to you for this, Marcus. I mean, they rejected a hardcore election denier um, in favor of Jeff DeWitt, but he is also a former Trump official talked about bringing unity to the party. What do you think, Marcus? I think that's, you know, <laughs> certainly don't cast Jeff DeWitt as some sort of moderate within the party. I don't want anybody to walk away with that, with that sort of thought. Uh, but I think that there is uh, there was some sort of thought that we need to be more unifying. I think that there's and, and I think it's within the minority of those state committee men who were voting, realizing that, you know, there was massive losses across the board. Um, and they were looking for some sort of unifying message to sort of get there. I don't think we're there. You don't um, think that? I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think either party is there. And and I think w the Democrat convention showed the exact same thing. I don't think that there was any difference. Um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, the parties are moving further to the right and further to the left. Yeah. Um, and I think that adds credence to Kirsten Cinema running as an independent. To be quite honest with you. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think looking at the election of Jeff DeWitt, we're talking about resizing the tinfoil hat on the Republicans. You know, it, it is it, he certainly is not a moderate. Um, in terms of the Democrats, we had two really qualified candidates. And the best way I can describe Yoli, who won for the Democrats, um, is that if you were assigned to her group in college, if you had a group project, you knew she was going to get her work done. Mm. I mean, she is just a consummate professional that I identifies what needs to be done and does it. This is Yolanda Bejarano, who was a, yeah. is like a union leader, exactly. who was the one who was elected chair of the Democrats. This on the Democratic side, Stacey, sort of was pitted as a like a like a test of Katie Hobbs sway in the party. Right. She was backing Steve Gallardo for the position. He lost in a, a kind of a landslide. And of course, you had Adrian Fontes and sort of all the other big state officials on the other side backing Bejarano, who won. Is there a rift in the party? What is this? Oh, I think this is just a uh, poll position. Position, folks looking at at long term who had supported them, who came out early for them. I mean, this is more of a personality and, and kind of friends sticking with friends more than anything else. I don't think long term this is going to impact the success Democrats have had. Does Bejarano's election here bode a certain way for, you know, like Marcus said, the party moving further to the left or, or further to the center? No, I think we had two two different um uh, candidates that were both union supported, some for one, some for the other. But in large part, they share the same concentric circles. We're talking about paid family leave and we're talking about education funding and we're talking about addressing the homelessness. I mean, this is a group um, that that in large part agrees mm -hmm. on policy. I think when you're uh, – the problem is when you're governor, you want a party chair that's sort of on your side mm -hmm. um, and not one that's a, a bomb thrower. And ask Doug Ducey how that turned out. You mm -hmm. remember, you know um, – uh, Kelly Ward was was chairman. He was governor. They they did not get along. They did not speak on a weekly basis, much less a monthly basis. And I think that that sort of uh, scenario was playing out on the Democrat side mm. for, the, for their party chairman. What do you think the implications are of that, of the fact that Hobbs candidate didn't win? I think that I think it would. You know, I think there's going to be some reaching out, if you will, would be my guess. Um, you want to be able to work together. If it doesn't work, it's you're just going to have to ignore the party chair, which is essentially what Doug Ducey did. Mm. It, yeah. Stacey, let me ask you about sort of the, the main 
point of all of this, right? Like the, the chair on the Democratic side was coming into a pretty good spot. They're coming off like historic wins, very surprising midterm successes. Um, they're talking about the next thing they really want to do, which is flipping the legislature here in the state. What do you think the odds are of that going forward? Oh, I think the odds get better as the years go by, mm-hmm. right? And and this continued quagmire, this, this as, you know, as we open this show talking about the aggregate expenditure limit and all of the things we can't get fixed. I mean, I think every year that that happens and every year we have another 200,000 people move in from California and Oregon and Washington State, Nevada, et cetera. I think we get closer and closer to flipping at least a chamber. Mm. What do you think, Marcus? Yes? I think, well, there's some folks moving from other states too. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think that it, I think having the discussion without knowing who's on the presidential ballot sort Mm. of nullifies the discussion. We've got to find out who's running for president because that's going to change turnout and turnout's going to be what wins the race. There's a there's a seat down in Yuma uh, that certainly every all eyes are going to be on uh, that was uh, a pickup that shouldn't have happened. Um, and so I think that'll Indeed. sort of even. Uh, but that being said, uh, you know, I don't even know if Biden's running. I know he said he's running, mm-hmm. but I gotta be honest with you. I mean, the signals don't look like he's running. Um, and we'll see who comes out of the Republican primary, how voracious that race is. Arizona's going to be a focal point again, Always. folks. Um, <laughs> you're gonna, your TV commercials are going to be stacked, packed, and racked. Um, and so we'll have to see how that starts to affect the electorate. Stacked, packed, and racked. I like that. OK. So if if she can make this happen on the Democratic side, if they can flip the legislature in a couple of years, this really changes the rest of Hobbs' tenure here, right? Absolutely. Uh, it. We it's been what thirty five years since the a chamber in the legislature has been democratic. It, it does change the game, and we've seen this now on the federal level. On the state level, it would be just as exciting. That's interesting. All right, I want to I want to turn now to something a little ways in the future, but like it's politics, so everybody's campaigning already, as we know. So with Kirsten Cinema's switch to independent, Republicans are looking at this open Senate seat, or you know, up for grab Senate seat, I should say, um, especially maybe against a Ruben Gallego run from the left. But there's now speculation, Marcus, that Blake Masters, Carrie Lake, will jump into that that race. What does that do? Well, I. <laughs> it's Kirsten Cinema's <laughs> dream scenario is what it is. Um, and I would contend Arizona is not a progressive state. No matter who wants to wish it is, it's just not. And so uh, they're going to, you know, Ruben's going to be cast as a progressive candidate. Carrie Lake or Blake Masters or Jim Lehman or whoever it is is going to be cast as a right wing extremist. I mean, clearly that benefits Kirsten Cinema. Uh, but she has to have sky high turnout and especially mm. with with independents and, and PNDs. Can that happen? Is there a scenario where it works if all the stars line up, if Nept- Neptune's in line with Juniper or <laughs> Jupiter? Uh, sure. Yeah, it can happen. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a slug fest of a race. Yeah. I would say if Neptune aligns with the $9 million uh, Senator Cinema <laughs> already has in her coffers, I think we're underestimating the war chest that she had going into this. Mm-hmm. And she certainly um, knows Arizona well, that her playbook was used by Senator Kelly, mm-hmm. by our statewide candidates. They ran right up the middle. Uh, they, in some cases, even used the same color street signs mm-hmm. as Senator Cinema did. So uh, she certainly resonated with uh, with a statewide audience. And 
I, I don't think um, it's wise to count her out. Hmm. What? And, you know, and not to go too deep into this and long thought, but I'd have I stay up late at night thinking about this. I know you're weird and do stuff like that, too. <laughs> but what happens if she does win? Does it start a national movement? Do we have a, are we on the brink of one of the largest reorganizations of political you know, parties that we've ever seen. But Mitt or, Romney comes with her, yeah. You know, or um, or West Virginia guy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, I, there's a hundred people I could pick out of the blue. Does that completely change the political landscape, not of just of Arizona, but the entire country? That's got to be Maybe. the goal, right? Like, is that what she's thinking? I, I guess if you can read <laughs> read the tea leaves, read her mind, Stacey? Well, I think she is very much getting out. She'd be in a primary fight right now yeah. already. She'd yeah. be running in the primary. And I think she very wisely stepped aside and is going to do her job. And there was I saw an interview of hers last week where she said, look, we're not I'm not running yet because Arizonans are tired of campaigns. Mm. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't I don't want to talk about this yet. <laughs> you know, we're talking about you know, 22 months before yeah. uh, this election. And I think in large part, the the average voter is just tired of those commercials. I mean, as Marcus was saying, I'm, I, I, I can't wait to figure out about Camp Lejeune. I was so excited <laughs> to see these horrible you know, erectile dysfunction ads again <laughs> on CNN. I was really happy to see him come back after this election cycle. I mean, fair enough. But the, but you're going to have to she's going to have to campaign. You mentioned the war chest like she's got a lot of money ready to run. How much does it matter that she doesn't have the party behind her? Like, what does that do? This changes the race entirely. It also gives her a lot of freedom. I think we look at the 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 liabilities, but we rarely judge the assets. Mm. And I think it gives her a lot of freedom to conduct her own messaging, uh, to hire who she wants to do, and conduct the campaign she wants to conduct instead of Chuck Schumer. Yeah, and I'm I'm here with a McCain alum. I mean, it's the it, that's the question, right? We saw what happened with John McCain when the party split from him, mm-hmm. and he was primaried, and he certainly came out on top. How does Ruben Gallego play into this? Like, I mean, lots of talk about that campaign. He raised a bunch of money after he announced. Is he too far to the left in general? You're looking at me, so I think you want me to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to argue he is. And I, you know, Ruben's a a fine guy. I like him and I see him a lot. But I'm going to tell you that, again, I don't think the progressive message plays in Arizona. And I can point out a couple races, but I'm not going to make somebody's morning more more miserable. Uh, But I will tell you that Democrats who ran progressive messages in countywide races lost horribly. Mm. And I just I think you can be a business friendly Democrat. You could be a conservative Democrat. You could even be a moderate Democrat, but you can't be a progressive um, and sort of win. And I think you look at Mark Kelly and you look at Kirsten Sinema and the evidence is, is there. All right. We will have to leave it there. Of course, it ended with Kirsten Sinema after all. Stacey Pearson <laughs> of Lumen Strategies, Marcus Delartino with First Strategic for our Friday News Cap today. Thanks to you both. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.